I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. And as you turn, just thinking about the word uh, mercy for a moment. The Bible uses the word mercy in a number of different ways. But this morning, uh, I'm going to use the word in the most common way that we think about it. Mercy as compassion. Uh, as, as those who uh, care for those in need. Uh, one commentator put mercy this way. It says, it is an outward manifestation of pity. And assumes need on part of those who are the recipients of mercy and sufficient resources to meet the need on the one who shows it. The idea of mercy is to show kindness or concern for someone in serious need or give help to the wretched to relieve the miserable. This is the essential thought that mercy gives attention to those in misery. Mercy is for misery. And that's what we will look at here this morning. Interestingly, as we see the life of Jesus, we see that he is marked by mercy. He is marked by mercy through and through, from beginning to the end. And so I want us to see that here in the passage this morning. Mark chapter 1. You can read along, uh, beginning of verse 35. Says this. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and he went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him, and they said, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go to the next town, so that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out all demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, he stretched out his hand, and he touched him. And he said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. And he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for proof to them. But when uh, he went out, and he began to talk freely about it, and he spread the news, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. This is God's word. So there, that section of verse 35 begins with early in the morning, while it was still dark, the, the crack of the day, Jesus goes out to pray. He goes out to pray, and, and as you go further into Mark, we, we see greater examples and more in-depth examples of Jesus' prayer life. But first thing to note just here briefly is the place of prayer for Jesus was first. First. First in his schedule but ultimately first in priority. His first priority was to pray. He is now embarking on ministry opportunities day after day, people bombarding him, and overwhelming schedule. And the thing that he finds most important to deal with that is not to make a to-do list or to map out his day, but instead to entrust himself to what God would have. Call on the power of God the Father. Be in, in line and in step with the will of God. That was his first priority. It proceeds and it comes before everything else. And the tone of Simon, Peter, 
as he comes to him, is almost annoyed. Peter, a Simon, comes to him. He says, everyone's looking for you. Like, you should be somewhere else. We got stuff to do. And it's interesting to think, there's a number of times in Peter's, uh, his interaction with Jesus, where he, he thinks Jesus might be doing the wrong thing. And we know a later example in the gospel accounts where Jesus rebukes him sharply and tell, he looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Like, you're, you're not doing the work of God right now. You're just thinking like a selfish man. And here, that might be an example of that same heart in Peter. Like, hey, listen, we got crowds to talk to. We got people to heal. What are you doing? We were all looking for you. Because it says, like, there was a search party. Uh, uh, verse 36 there. Simon and all who were with him searched for him. And then they found him and he said, everyone's looking for you. And what's amazing is everyone here is looking for you. We have a search party for this area. There's a lineup of people to see you. And what's Jesus say? Verse 38, let us go to the next town. Okay, you found me. Let's go. Let's move on. Why does he want to move on? He says, so that I may preach there also. Jesus did not just come to the earth to heal physical diseases, to, to perform miracles and wow people. He came to the earth, he says himself, to preach. He says, verse 38, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for or because that's why I came. I came to preach. That's the reason I came, was to preach. And we know the content of his preaching from earlier um, in verse uh, 15. Yeah, verse 15, his preaching was, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The content of his preaching, some might say if it's repentance, it doesn't seem very merciful. Because in order to tell someone to repent, you have to tell them they're wrong. And that they're doing the wrong thing. They're in the wrong place. They need to leave what they're doing and do something else. All that they want and all that they desire must be changed. That's repentance. That's the content of Jesus' preaching. And this is what he came for, was to preach. Often people, when they think of the life of Jesus, they think of love and mercy and miracles. That Jesus was not a, a harsh man. They might have an example of where he flipped over tables. But other than that, they tend to think of Jesus as this really quiet, soft, and he has no real um, a hard passion in him. Uh, there was one of the recent Hollywood movies, or, oh yeah, even the Bible series TV, so they, that same producer produced the Jesus something, uh, a, a movie or some sort. And Jesus in that film was just so, like, light and, like, giddy. And, and it was really weird. Uh, even when he rebuked Peter in that movie, he was just like, oh, like a joke. Like, oh, get behind me, Satan. And I thought, if that's what you view Jesus as, is this, like, really light man who has no real passion that is towards hatred towards sin, then you've got Jesus wrong. His message in his gospel is repent. The very thing that's harming you is sin, and, and he's going to rebuke it and say, that needs to be finished. The life that you're living, thinking that you're okay, walking in your own self-desires and your own self-righteousness, he says, stop it. You must turn from it. You must cling and believe. It says, repent and believe the gospel. The good news that your self-righteousness and your sin has captured you. 
It's captured you and it has you on a destination which is forever torment, forever desolate and apart from God. And so the, the message of Jesus is repent. Stop what you're doing. Face it. And that's the reality is like we cannot repent and, and come to faith in Jesus if we don't recognize our need. If we don't recognize the filth that we have. If we don't see how we've offended God when he says, you don't do this, and we've stepped over that line 100,000 times. If we don't see the dirt, we don't see our need of repentance. We think, well, I'm just a good person. Well, then why do you need Jesus? Why do you need God if you're just a good person? Don't good people go to heaven? Yeah, but there's no good people. There's no ultimately good in the heart people. We are all selfish and we all push back on God. So he says, recognize that about yourself. See it. That's what the gospel is. is the message of Jesus is holy and righteous and pure. And we hold ourselves next to him and say, that's not me. That's not me. He's God and I'm not like him. That's the good news is that because I'm not like him, I see the gap. And then we could respond in self-righteousness and think, well, what can I do? What kind of religion can I have? What kind of good deeds can I do? And Jesus says, enough of it. That's still not sufficient. You will never be holy and perfect as I am. Repent. Stop trusting in yourself. Stop trusting in your system. Follow me. Believe. Believe that I'm sufficient. Believe that I am who I said I am. Believe that the cross was enough. That's the message of Jesus. Repent. Well, often that phrase is thought of, you know, with hellfire and brimstone preaching is the idea of repentance. It should be in all preaching and it should be in all um, communication of the gospel. The good news of Jesus is repent. But is that merciful? Of course it is. It's the most merciful thing. When you see someone about to fall off a cliff because they're not paying attention, the most merciful thing for you to do is to change their direction, even forcibly. It's to change their direction and say, wake up. You're about to get hit by a truck. I'm, I'm going to tackle you if I need to. There was a, uh, there is a, a staunch atheist, famous magician. His name's Penn Gillette. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He's from a magician duo. Atheist like no other. And he said this one time. He said, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? This atheist, he says, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and then not tell them that? Because you don't want to tell them to repent. You don't want to tell them that they're wrong. You don't want to tell them they're going the wrong way. And so I'm not going to offend people. I don't want to break my relationships. He, he goes on to talk about that where he says, you know, if you're so worried about being socially awkward, he says, you're actually just full of hatred and, and selfishness. You're just trying to preserve yourself. This atheist says that's the most selfish and hateful thing you can do. If you believe in eternal life through Christ, it's selfish and hatred to not tell others. So it would be the height of hatred for Jesus to not tell us to repent. So repentance is a ministry of his mercy. The fact that he says, if you keep going as you are going, or if you want to rely on yourself, or you think that your religion's enough, or that your good deeds are enough, it would not be merciful for him to let you keep going. His ministry is marked by mercy, including his preaching of repentance. 
including his flipping over of tables. That was merciful to wake them up and say, that's wrong. It's not acceptable to God. His ministry was marked by mercy, even in his preaching of repentance. If you know that someone has a disease and they can't see it, the most merciful thing for you to do is point out something that might be painful for them. It's the most merciful thing that Jesus could do is this gospel preaching in in his world in verse 15 was repent and believe the gospel. Turn, trust, confess your sins, admit them, own up to them, bring your filth to God because he'll welcome you. That's the beauty of Jesus' mercy. He doesn't just say, you're filthy. All right, hope you can figure that out. Or you see your list of sins, let me show you, let me expose you. That's what Jesus does. In his holiness, he exposes our filth. He doesn't just leave people exposed and say, well, now you know. Good luck. Hope you can figure it out. Hope you can find the strength within yourself. He doesn't do that. Instead, he lives the righteous life on our behalf and dies a sinner's death on our behalf. So that the second part of his preaching is repent and believe the gospel. Believe this good news. That you are damned apart from him. But you can be saved and welcome because of him. That's the preaching of Jesus. And he says, that's why I came. I love it. Verse 38. Let's go to the next town that I may preach there also. For that's why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And then comes to this next section. This leper came to him. And imploring him, kneeling uh, before him, he said, If you will, you can make me clean. So that's an incredible statement of this leper. If you will, so he knows it's up to Jesus, but he knows that Jesus has the power. You can make me clean. Thinking about his leper and his desire to be clean. The life of a leper, if you've read the Old Testament is the loneliest life there is. A person who is not touched, ever. It's not acceptable to touch them. In the Old Testament, if you came close to them, they would cry out, unclean, unclean, stay away from me. I'm diseased, I'm dirty, I'm filthy. I'm a disaster. And they thought that it was uh, a punishment, an external punishment for their sin. So not only were they ceremonially unclean, they were physically unclean. They had a disease that was contagious all over their body. And so people had to stay back. They weren't to be touched. They weren't to be interacted with. They didn't have relationships. In Leviticus chapter 13, they're to be outside of the camp. They were so lonely. So untouchable. Leper is incredible. To have that life. So, so sad. And here he comes. Imploring Jesus. Kneeling before Jesus. Humble before Jesus. And, and, and knowing, like, if you will. It's up to you. If you can make me clean. I wonder what he had in mind in terms of clean. Did he have in mind healing of the leprosy? Or, or ceremonial cleanliness so they didn't have to shout out unclean or, or be 
not welcome in the temple. As a leper, you were not allowed to go to worship service. It was unacceptable. You can make me clean. You hear the desperation. You see it. He's imploring him. He's kneeling before him. Verse 41, Jesus is moved with pity or compassion. His compassion. And this word here used for pity or compassion is not that common in the New Testament. But one example of it that's not of Jesus is the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan. Luke 10, recording the Good Samaritan, verse 33, says, But a Samaritan who was on his journey came upon this man who had been beaten, robbed, stripped, and left for dead. He came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. I I can bet that the priest felt bad for the guy, but he still walked by. I can imagine that the, the Levite felt bad for the guy, but he still walked by. But the Samaritan felt compassion. He felt compassion for the guy. And compassion does something. Compassion doesn't just feel bad for another person at a distance. Compassion, uh, it, it, it makes you do something. It compels you to do something. It's the idea of an inward turning of the gut that, that just compels you to act. That was this idea of compassion or pity. So Jesus moved with pity, moved with compassion towards this outcast, this untouchable man, this man who would have to say, stay back, I'm unclean. The one who would be ceremonially and physically repulsive to society. A person as repulsive to society, desperate before Jesus. This man isolated beyond any compare, rejected, alone, never accepted. And Jesus comes and he's moved with pity to this man. And what Jesus does is incredible. In his pity, he acts in mercy. He stretched out his hand and he touched him. I can just imagine the disciples thinking, don't do it. Don't Touch him. If you touch him, Jesus, you'll become unclean. You'll be ceremonial unclean. You won't be able to go to the temple. You, you might even get the disease. Don't touch him. That you, No one touched a leper. And so as Jesus, he said, I will. I will. And he, and he reached it. He didn't need, this is Jesus. He did not need to touch the leper. But the leper had never not been touched in who knows how many years. So Jesus, in showing his mercy towards the miserable, touched him, reached out, and touched him. This incredible move of mercy. And he said to him, I I will. And he, he commanded him, be clean. Be clean. He declared him clean. It's incredible to see how Jesus stooped down and, and by all uh, eyes looking on, totally risked himself. Medically risked himself because of leprosy, this disease that would spread on the skin and you can't feel your fingers. They fall off eventually. Jesus is risking himself. But, man, spiritually Jesus is risking himself. He wouldn't be welcomed in the temple. But mercy moved him. 
moved him to act. This compassion compelled him to do the hard thing. To touch the untouchable. To reach the unreachable. To cure the uncurable. Leprosy was not a curable disease. There was nothing you could do about leprosy. Although Moses, in writing the Levitical law in Leviticus 14, uh, wrote a ceremony like, okay, if someone's healed of leprosy, here's what you do. Well, according to Jewish uh, thought and Jewish tradition, um, it never happened. Uh, Reading from one Jewish scholar, he says, uh, so ancient rabbis separated miracles into two categories. So Jewish rabbis, they they would say, one is a miracle that can be performed by any person as long as they're empowered by God. And the second is a miracle they called messianic miracles. Only the miracles the Messiah could perform. And and from time to time, uh, from the time, sorry, from the time that the Mosaic law was completed, there was no record of any Jew having ever been healed from leprosy. So Miriam is an example that she was healed by, from leprosy, but that was prior to the law. And Naaman was healed from leprosy, but he was a Syrian Gentile, and he didn't follow the law. So from the time that the law was written by Moses, and it was completed, there was never a single case of a Jew being healed from leprosy. So they were cast out, isolated, lonely, forever. They'd never seen this. So the rabbis would have known the rules in Leviticus 14. Here's how you treat a person. But they would have never, ever, ever applied it. Verse 42 says, this, The leprosy left this man. It left him immediately. And he was made clean. It left him. He was cleansed. It left him physically. His skin cleared up. The rash was gone, but now he's ceremonially clean as well. He's now able to go to the temple for the first time, and who knows how many years he's now welcome. He's now completely different. All because Jesus, in his mercy, touched him. And then Jesus says to him, he sternly charges him, with, uh, with two things. So he sternly charges him and sends him away at once. Verse 44 tells us what he said. See that you say nothing to anyone. So that's instruction number one. Instruction number two, go and show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for proof or a testimony to them. And this man uh, disobeyed point number one. He went and he told people. And who knows if he obeyed point number two. If he would have obeyed point number two and gone to the priest and shown him and said, look, you know, you know me, I had leprosy, and now you need to do the ceremony, they would have been silenced because they would have been able to identify that this is a miracle of the Messiah. No one can do this. To cure someone from leprosy was the same as raising someone from the dead. It was impossible in their world. It was impossible. And so he tells them, go and testify to them. Show them. We don't know if he obeyed. He certainly didn't obey the first part. Even after receiving the the touch of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus, who stooped down as he did with others and touched them. There's something about that. Jesus, who could speak the world into existence, stooped and touched. Even in Mark's gospel, we have, um, I think, eight accounts of him touching uh, in terms of 
um, assuring people, healing people. Already recorded was uh, Peter's mother-in-law. He took her by the hand. Here he touches the leper. Uh, in chapter 5, there's Jairus' little daughter. And he takes her by the hand and stands her up. There's a few sick people in Mark 6. There's a deaf man in Mark 7. A blind man in Mark 8. The children he takes in his arms in verse chapter 9 and 10. And there's a demonized boy in chapter 9 as well. All of these he touches and he didn't need to. It was all out of his mercy. And then receiving your mercy, what would you do? Well, you would think you would listen to every word that comes out of Jesus' mouth. Well, this man in his excitement couldn't help it. He went and he shared and he showed and he, and he told. It's incredible. Uh, Charles Spurgeon says, If you and I were to touch a leper, his uncleanliness would at once be communicated to us. But when Christ touches a leper, his cleanness is communicated to the leper. And it's all because of God's mercy. His mercy. And this man responds by just freely going and talking, which actually hindered Jesus' urban ministry. Jesus, as it says at the end, uh, in verse 45, he could no longer go into a town. The, the crowds were gathering, and in a town setting, all they wanted to do was, was line up and be healed. And he, he said, I came out to preach. Yes, I healed people along the way, but my main reason I came was to preach and then to die. And that was now hindered because of this man's disobedience. Obviously, we know God is providential. So this wasn't an accident. The man didn't screw everything up for Jesus. It was intended this way that Jesus would be driven out to now preach on boats and mountainsides and the people could hear and he could escape if he needed to when they were crowding around him. But this man, thinking of his, his response to this mercy, was obviously ecstatic joy, as ours is too. God is rich in mercy towards us, Ephesians 2 says, and the greatest riches of his mercy, it, it, and remember, mercy is towards those who are miserable. And God is rich in mercy towards you and me because we're miserable in our spiritual state. We are miserable in our spiritual state. That's why we need to repent of it, right? It has us destined for hell if nothing changes. But Ephesians 2 tells us, God being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. God being rich in mercy, stooped down, touched you, called you, took on your sin and on his own son. Jesus himself, merciful beyond merciful towards you, taking on your uncleanness. So now, as he has touched you, his cleanness has been communicated to you. It has been imparted to you. If you belong to Jesus, you've repented and believed the gospel, now you can stand before God clean, welcome, near, intimate, when before you couldn't. You were lonely and isolated and had to stand far off. You were not welcome. Until Christ did something. Christ in his mercy stooped down and touched. In love towards you and towards me. So then how do we respond? 
If you're marked, if Jesus is marked by mercy, we ought to be then marked by mercy. If we understand the mercy of Christ towards us in the same way that this leper is, is overjoyed, though different, we should obey. We should obey at all costs. But being moved to gratitude is what mercy does for us. When you realize the mercy of God towards you in your miserable state, undeserving as you are the grace of God towards you, then you respond with gratitude. And gratitude leads to the second part of being marked by mercy is sharing it. Sharing mercy. The Good Samaritan is a great example, a story that we can all remember of a man marked by mercy. A man marked by mercy who went out of his way to deal with an untouchable. Something that others would walk around and say, I'm not, I'm not even going to go there. A man was marked by mercy, as we ought to be marked by mercy. We share what God has done for us and in us and to us. We share the misery that we were in spiritually and, and emotionally and physically. And if, if God is merciful to you in any of these areas, you, you share it. It's because as much as Jesus told this leper not to share it, he told us to share it. He told his leper not to share it so that the crowds would not uh, just be there for a healing event every day in the towns and therefore hinder the preaching. But he tells us to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, telling them of the mercy of God. Having this message that Jesus had that he came for is to preach repentance and belief in the gospel. Really to preach mercy. That God would pity you. And that's the thing. We live in a world of self-pity. Don't we? We pity ourselves. Poor me. Poor me. We don't need to do that. We don't need to do that. Because God, who knows even our situation that we want pity for, he knows it even greater than we do. He's the one who says, you come to me. You're, you're heavy laden. You're burdened. You got stuff. He says, bring it to me, and I'll give you rest. And that stuff that he says bring to him is not just our emotional problems and our physical problems and our relationship problems and our financial problems. Bring it to him, and, and, and he will give you contentment as you trust in him. But beyond that, it's the deeper, more lasting spiritual burden of the misery of recognizing that you stand as a sinner before God, unclean, and you can't get near until Christ comes and says, be clean. We say, will you forgive me? Will you clean me from my sin? He says, I will. Be clean. In mercy, Christ comes to us and transforms us. So does it actually transform us? Beyond just now feeling the, the sense that I, I know I'm now saved. I know I now belong to God. I know I now can go to heaven and can be welcomed there. How else has it transformed me? How else has it transformed you, the mercy of God towards you? Thinking about his mercy doesn't make you a more merciful person towards others. Going out of your way to maybe be inconvenienced like the Good Samaritan. You think he thought that day, oh, I'm just going to go and see how much money I can spend on a stranger who I may never see again and I may never get thanks for. Instead, he said, I just want to go and obey God. 
If God calls me to step out of, out of the way and, and apart from what I'm doing, I'm going to do it for him. So that's what mercy does to our hearts. Is it, it ought to transform our hearts to then be merciful. Not ones who are seeking pity, but instead giving pity. Not pity in a bad sense, but compassion. Uh, mercy that is moving us to act uh, towards others. Because of what Christ has done. He, his life is marked by mercy. Is yours. Let's pray. God, um, we stand before you knowing that uh, we do not deserve uh, to even have your ear, to, to have you listen to us and, and hear us. You're a God holy, and, and you have so many other things and, uh, that you take care of and people that you look after, and God, we are but mere ants on this earth, and yet you care. You actually care for each one of us here. You care for our, our struggles and our pains and our problems. And most of all, you care for our souls. You care for our relationship with you. And, and we see that in the mercy of Christ. That he stooped down, that he came. And he had compassion on us. And he touched us. So that we might be clean. We might be forgiven. We might be free. We might be new. Thank you, O oh God for the cleansing power of Jesus' blood and his righteousness. and pray that as we recognize your mercy towards us, that we would be people overflowing with gratitude and that that would transform the way we interact with others too, that they may see mercy in us, that our lives too might be marked by mercy. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.